So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, man fans. Ollie Mann here with The Modern Man, the monthly magazine show for your ears. As the nights draw in, here's what we have for you today. If you go to their level, if someone's in my face threatening to smash my head in or whatever, and I go up to their level, I'm shouting and you've got nowhere to go. Spice, staff corruption and de-escalation. It's all in a day's work at one of Britain's most notorious prisons. Plus... If you don't fat, you're going to have a deeper, sexier voice. Uh, your hair won't fall out. Alex Fox digs deep into the manosphere for No Nut November, and Ollie Peart goes drop shipping. It's all to come in today's edition of The Modern Man. But first, your letters, and thanks for your kind comments about my interview with Vanessa last month. Uh, Callow says, fascinating, I was pinned to her story. Uh, Scott says, another amazing interview, Ollie, which made me think about the things we take for granted. And Richard says, compelling listening again. Well done on maintaining the extreme high quality of this podcast. Thank you. Extreme high quality is the missing tag from Apple Podcasts, isn't it? Like explicit. Stamped. Extreme high quality. (laughs) That's what we need. Uh, John in Budley Salterton, though, did have a gripe. Oh, dear God, Ollie, he says. Please, all caps, don't use awful background sound effects during your middle features. This month's story was plenty gripping enough without needing an intrusive, distracting sound to explain to me how I should be feeling, i.e. a scary, ominous, portentous sound effect because listeners might not fully understand the significance of a person losing their sight. Three exclamation marks, all caps. Uh, That's called a drone, by the way, John, that sound effect. Ominous drone. Uh, He concludes, BTW, I'm a long-term listener, absolutely bloody love the show and you guys, and now I feel so guilty for criticising you, I must do the only decent thing and buy you a beer. (laughs) Thank you, John. We welcome all listener feedback, no worries, that is the point of this opening section. We get just as many people who love our sound design. Um, To be honest, we do sometimes add a bit of music to smooth over the crack into an ad break. That can happen, because otherwise it's a bit like, this horrendously tragic thing happened to me, now buy a mattress. Um, So you'll be pleased to know, John, that at least this month, I can reassure you, there is no ad in today's middle feature and therefore far less music. Um, With that lack of ads, though, we will need that beer money that you sent in. So thanks as well to Nadezhda, to Cademan from Devon and to Lauren, who updated her beer money contributions from yearly to monthly. Thank you, Lauren. If you can do that as well, if you value this show and independent podcasting generally, do put your money where your mouth is. Support us financially. Send us the price of a pint each month if you can. Uh, just click Beer Money on our website for the secure payment form uh, or for links to PayPal. 
A bit of Ambassador news now. Scott, our Ambassador for South Shields, has passed his exams to become a Navigation Officer in the Merchant Navy. Uh, Congratulations, Scott. He says he's now been sailing for some time and spends a lot of time in the Antarctic listening to the show. (laughs) That is the furthest afield that I've heard, I think. Can you better that? Are you somewhere in the world more exotic and far-flung than the Antarctic listening to me right now? Do let us know. Um, Just before we get going with the rest of the show, a quick thanks to our sponsors this month, Wine52. What a great time of year this is to order yourself a free case of wine, everybody. That's right, I said free. Uh, Christmas is round the corner. You're all sitting around your log fire or whatever you can afford these days, perhaps an LED lava lamp. And, you know, you want to put your feet up, don't you? You want to indulge with a delicious glass of wine from my favourite wine club, don't you? Just head to wine52.com slash man. Cover the postage costs of eight ninety five, and you'll get three bottles delivered to your door. I'm a member. I love it. My case this month was from the Humiar region in Spain. I learnt that's how you pronounce it from the free copy of Glug magazine they bundle inside. Otherwise, I would have called it Jamila because that is how it is spelt. Uh, but I digress. My favourite wine this month, a glorious bottle of citrusy white called La Hamanas Blanco. Why not try it or something similar for yourself? After your free case, you'll join the monthly wine club, yes. But there's no minimum commitment. If it's not for you, just pause or cancel. Wine52.com slash M-A-N-N to claim your free case today. And do remember to use that suffix. Let them know we sent you. That supports us too. Wine52.com slash M-A-N-N. Okay, coming up in this month's episode, you will learn how many chicken eggs you'd need to match the protein in male ejaculate. You will learn what CNR is, and you'll learn what is a $196 billion industry. Let's go. It's time to test out your trends. It's the zeitgeist with Manscaped with everyone's second favourite money-saving expert. It's Ollie Peart. Are you still using your slow cooker one month on? Yeah, I did. I used my slow cooker just the other day. I made a beef, because uh, I'm not a vegetarian anymore, I made a beef stew. Bay leaves? Leeks? No, I didn't actually. I think I've just binned off vegetables now. I basically just put beef in it. It was just beef and stew, as in tomatoes, and that was it. But it It'll really cook nice. in its own fat. That's like a vegetable, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I do now. I just eat meat and, and I get my veg from my meat. That's that's how it works. Uh, every month on the show, Ollie Peart is put through his paces on your beck and call. And uh, last month, Jack in Basingstoke uh, tasked you with, I mean, I'm just quoting what he said, importing crap from China and reselling it. Yeah. The, uh, the the trend for white labelling. He wants to know mm. if there's anything in it. How's it been going? Do you know, it's been fascinating. I feel like mm. I've sort of entered a world of the internet that I knew nothing about. So white labelling, essentially all it is is that you take a, a product. So a manufacturer will basically go, hey, look, we make this thing. It's unbranded. You can stick your own brand on it and then you can yes. sell it. Right. Which, so- by the way, before we get into individuals doing this... Mm. is what high street stores have been doing for decades, right? I mean, Yeah, supermarkets do it all the time. Like Rice Krispies would be Rice Snaps in Tesco and Rice Pops in Waitrose. You can get your Radio Shack C90 player in Tandy. And consumer electronics is a really big one. There's like, do you remember, um, was it Daewoo? You know the brand Daewoo? And they used to yes. make like CD players. They make tellies, players. hair dryers, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Cars yeah, as but well, they, maybe. Ca- yeah. They make cars, yeah. But yeah. then a Daewoo would be... You'd get, then get the same CD player. It would be like Alba, 
and then you get yes. like another brand that you've like Sashio or something because all it is is that 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 product is just made by one manufacturer and they just put a different brand on it yes carve manufacturers have been doing it for a long time you pointed that out like they they call it rebadging and all they do is stick a badge on a, on the same car this is the this is the the phrase that sort of floats around white labeling which i found absolutely fascinating because it's kind of like well if this manufacturer is kind of making this thing right how am i adding value by kind of sticking my name on it like what exactly am i adding and they talk about creating a a brand story so it's like you've got to create something that's like really lovely and believable about what it is that you do i, I mean it's really difficult to understand how you can add value to something without without actually making it but i suppose that can be in your sort of your service your customer service and how you deliver it and that kind of thing and that's the other thing it's not just physical products that you can do it with it is things like um software and services so you can white label those as well okay it has moved on from alan sugar buying some uh, knockoff calculators so what is the 21st century equivalent of that what are people white labeling the short answer is absolutely everything like anything you could imagine you can label up with your own brand our man ambassador for Shanghai got in touch with me. I don't know their name. Do you know uh-huh. the name of the man ambassador for Shanghai? Well, I'd have to Look. consult the spreadsheet. You haven't prepped me for this, but yes, it's all there. No, I mean, I, I I'm afraid I don't a... remember everyone's name individually without conferring. But yeah, okay, yes. it's fine. I, I think it's okay to refer to them as the Ambassador for Shanghai. Well, no, but hold they on. Got in touch... you, no, no. If you're going to mention them, well, I'll look them up. Well, okay, Give me a second. Yeah, okay, good. Because right, because well, they've also got the, their Twitter handle. This is actually like, a useful so... way for me to remind people that the entire list of our ambassadors is available yeah. at our website modernmanwith2ends.co.uk there's a map there's an interactive map built by a man fan uh, yeah. where you can see everyone uh, so it's um, Gary and Angela Cooper are our man ambassadors Gary for Shanghai and, Gary and Angela it's okay so yeah. I don't know which one it is because um, their Twitter handle is so generic it's like P17263 but uh-huh. anyway Angela or Gary they wanted to tell me about uh, Teo Bayo. T-A-O-B-A-O, right? Mm-hmm. And AliExpress uh, saying, basically, these are two websites that you're going to need when you're talking about white labeling. You're going to have to look into these two websites. Teo Bayo is like Amazon on steroids. And I spent maybe 12 minutes on that website and I could not, I couldn't work it out. I mean, it's all in Chinese for a start. Yeah. And I, I mean, I did the Google Translate thing. So like it translate the whole web page. It still makes no sense. But when you say on steroids, it's a marketplace, but what's different? So, you know, like Amazon kind of has, you know, what like the categories will be sort of quite neatly laid out and it'll kind of be like, oh, here's your smart speakers. You can get those. And then here's like homeware section and here's clothing. Yeah. This one's like, do you want a plastic sword? What about a massage gun? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, fuck. Here we go. We've got some jewellery down here as well, mate. You can get all of that. And some okay. neon tubes. And you're like, oh, what? And you can get anything. So, so okay. But the, the, you're on the homepage, right? And no this one goes the on the homepage, page. presumably. They search for stuff, don't they? So you're, it's just, you're describing something a bit more Groupon-y on the homepage. Yes, yes, Groupon. God, days gone by. Uh, yeah, it, it, exactly. That's that's exactly what it's like. It's just completely mad. But AliExpress is the same, but they've got a UK website. So I, I actually went on there to try and make sense of this and, and what goes on. And basically, all it is is a place where suppliers go to sell their stuff. So they all kind of go there and they go, look, you can buy this thing. You can buy it in... Uh, whatever quantity and we'll ship it to you and in large amounts I presume so that you wholesale well top tip right here's what you need to look out for if you're planning to get into this kind of white labeling business you need to look out for MOQ MOQ stands for minimum order quantity so if you're trying to order something that you want to sell in this country and you're shipping it over from China wherever 
just be careful because some some of them might have a minimum order quantity of 15,000 units. Oh, God. Did you learn this acronym before or after you spent my money? <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, it was cl- it was a close call. I was there with the credit card. And then I was like, oh, no. Uh, it wasn't quite as close as that. No, I learned I learned about this before. But it is something you need to think about. It they vary a lot like some companies you can buy literally one unit and some you do have to buy like a minimum of 10,000 units it just depends but the price difference will be huge so you can literally buy things like like gadgets for pence but you have to buy half a million of them or whatever so presumably you know? that's basically what B&M are doing as well isn't it like that any of those discount stores that's what they like you go and you're like blimey that's cheap only five pounds for a pair of headphones but they're buying them for 10 cents presumably yeah, but this is but this is where uh, it gets really interesting because as you start looking into white labeling and why people will do it, one of the reasons that they sort of get into it in the first place or want to do white labeling is because it's low risk. It's low risk and it's low cost. Somebody's out, somebody else has made the product, yeah. right? They've sorted it all out and that's all fine. With someone like B&M, they're still taking that inventory, bringing it over to this country and storing it, right? They're still doing yeah. that. And uh-huh. this is where it kind of gets a little bit like i don't know kind of a bit sordid and dirty actually have you heard of drop shipping i have we did it on the week unwrapped now what is drop shipping i seem to recall that there was a news story about some bloke who'd like during the pandemic gone off to work in barbados there was like some tax scheme where you could work from there rather than from home mm. and drop shipping came up because this guy basically had been white labeling products as you're saying but instead of storing them himself yeah. You can also do like the Airbnb of of storage space, right? So you never touch the product that ended up at people's doors. That's it, right? You never see it. You never touch it. You don't have anything to do with it. So oh. the maker, the manufacturer will sort out all of the logistics for you. So all your job is, which is why this guy could go to Barbados, is you build your website, you build your brand, you you, you build the shop, whatever. And then when somebody places an order, that order is then fulfilled by that manufacturer and they just send it directly to the consumer. But are they putting your brand on it? It was one thing to put the brand on the website, but someone's got depends. to actually put the sticker on, though. Yeah, it depends. So you kind of, if you're going to do that, uh, you have to use a supplier that offers that private labelling offer, which 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 they do on AliExpress. So you just have to find the right supplier. People go on those websites to find suppliers. But drop shipping has become massive, probably for the reasons that you're talking about which is that you can do it from anywhere in the world and you can create your own, own online business it's a, a, a it is a 196 billion dollar industry no. it is that's this year that is a, that is a stat from this year and the reason it's so big and become so successful is because it is so easy it is but unbelievably so easy. easy why can't the manufacturers do it themselves that's a bit i don't get I get that the person with the local knowledge knows the market, but surely the manufacturer, once they get a sniff of what's selling where, also knows the market, just create their own hundred of their own shops selling it. Why do they need you at all? Yeah, but the cost of actually identifying that that market, if you like, globally, is a big one. So if you're a manufacturer and you're based in China, then why are you going to spend all of your money on trying to work out what people in Chelsea want? You know, instead, you can go, hey, look, we can make this product for a penny and we can shift them for 75p each and we can sell tens of thousands, if not millions of them, and and we can ship them anywhere in the world. And then it's up to people to determine where there's a market for them. So I can kind of see how and why it works. It's just that manufacturing in China is just so cheap. 
So this is a way for them to get people to order in vast quantities in volume. So you, you'll have multiple retailers basically selling the same thing. So when you go on Amazon, for example, you know, Amazon, a lot of those are fulfilled through drop shipping as well. And you won't really, they'll say it's from a store, but you won't know that store. It will, it, it's not like it's got a, a physical place. It will just be an individual who's trying to ride off the back of a trend. And it's the other thing with being able to source these kinds of products in this way, uh, cheaply and at low risk and quickly, is that you can jump on a trend. So if all of a sudden yo-yos boom again, it's like <laughs> straight onto AliExpress, I'll find a yo-yo manufacturer, boff, go, let's go. And then you can start selling them within minutes. But you're still responsible for the quality of that product, aren't you? You know, just like any store that sells you something. Someone could write to you and say, this doesn't work. And you've never touched it, seen it, approved it. That's weird, isn't it? Yeah, but it's that. I mean, that goes down to the brand value, doesn't it? It's like what what actually is the value you add as a brand by sticking your label onto it, and it's the service that you offer essentially. So, if the product isn't quite right, you, you're going to have to factor that in as a business that somebody's going to return it. You'll get your money back from the manufacturer, but you've still got to spend the time in processing that return. So it will damage your business. So, I mean, from a, from a sort of, you know, if you are going to try and create a legitimate, solid business through drop shipping and white labeling, you know, you might want to do your due diligence and to sort of make sure that actually the product isn't like full of asbestos or, <laughs> or like is actually kind of legal. Because that's the other thing. It might not be legal yes. in this country. You kind of have to make sure that that's OK. Okay, so as ever, we like you to get hands-on. I mean, you've answered Jack's initial question, which is basically, no, it isn't bullshit. It is a thing. It is a way to make money. Obviously, you'd have to actually work at that as your job, and you haven't been doing that. You've just spent a month dipping into this trend for us. But hmm. how are we going with Oli Pierce Express? <laughs> I I made a decision. I No, I had a... What did I have? I had an epiphany. No, I didn't. I had a... I had a moment. I was looking at massage guns. Are you describing <laughs> but, a breakdown? No, 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 I'm not. <laughs> I was, I was, I was. Because <laughs> you're really struggling to find the word. <laughs> no, I was just trying. To, I was just a very trying specific to, mental image no, I have of you. No, now. but I was just trying to. I was just trying to Fine. think back to that moment as to what. Were it was. you in your bare feet? <laughs> no, because I, right, I, I'm just going to lift the veil on my process a little bit. But when sure. I, you know, when I'm, I'm going through, and I'm, and, I, and when I'm looking at stuff and researching stuff for the zeitgeist and read, I read so much stuff. I look at so much stuff, and then I get this little moment where a little nugget where I go, oh, I think I know what I'm going to do here. I could, and, and this is what happened yeah. in this instance. And I was, look, uh, I was looking at massage, massage guns. guns. It's not so a bad thought, idea because, as we, Alex yeah. would tell us, there's a secondary market there as well. Absolutely. I you mean, can sell it innocently, can't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's uh, just a big rolling pin with um, two stress balls. But I was looking at those, and you could, we could get them labelled, right? So we got, I thought, oh, great, we could get modern man massage guns. This is perfect. This is on brand. Awesome. Let's get these. And then I was looking at the prices and kind of go through it and look at the shipping. And I Which thought, is Hang what? A I'd spend £15 on a massage gun, I think, from Lidl. How much can you buy them for on AliExpress? Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I could get them for about five dollars right okay and i could i could have ordered like 10 so i could have got oh. like 10 for five dollars um and You've i could have had the profit right there haven't you from me yeah. from suckers like me yeah okay. exactly yeah but i thought hang on do i want to be that person do i want to be that person that ships in all of this stuff uh, you with the ethics again you know i had yeah. to turn down an <laughs> nft advertiser the other day i was like good no sorry we good. can't we just can't because he's ethically trashed it on the show how much did they offer us? Uh, don't ask. Don't ask. But I, but I couldn't do it. No, genuinely, though, I couldn't do it. And I did actually think of that NFT thing. 
because we got I, we got I got I got told off for that by some of our listeners. So I kind of thought mm. I, can't, I can't can't do this. Let's do, and I thought well, there must be a better way. There must be a way that we can kind of we can white label products, but do it in an ethical, lovely, modern man way. Love it. I, I actually reached out to a couple of man fans who I know make stuff, make their own stuff. Uh-huh. Um, you remember when I was knitting? I do. Yes. I miss knitting. I haven't knitted in ages. <laughs> So I reached out to Tom at, at Knit Slips. His company's called Knit Slips. And he, uh, he, he taught me everything I know about knitting, basically. I said, you know, what, what, what could you make us? What, would, what could you make that you could brand up Modern Man? So he's mm. going to make us some hats, basically. Some beanies. Hats. And they're really, yeah, but beanies. They're really okay. beautiful, yeah. hand-knitted beanies. I remember the one even that you tossed off that we ended up donating to a baby. <laughs> tossed off. Uh, was actually all right, wasn't it? And, you'd, you know, you'd only been doing it for a month. That was yeah. good enough to put on a child's head. So I can believe that someone who's good at knitting could do a, a proper beanie. It will be really good. And also, um, uh, Dan from a company called Run Silk or Rune Silk, R-U-N-E-S-I-L-K. Rune, uh, he makes yeah. beard oils and like beard balms and that kind okay. of stuff. Yeah. And he's going to do the same for us. A special edition Modern Man beard oil. That is on brand. And it, yeah, we'll have our own Modern Man. It will actually be a beard balm, that one. So... Okay. We've got so we've got two products, but I, how I'm, many have you ordered with these guys? I mean, it no, well, I haven't nice. ordered yet. So I okay. I'm, oh, so you're drop thing, shipping, I'm, having just criticised people for drop shipping. No, no, I'm not drop shipping. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I am gonna buy. I'm just trying to figure out all the costing stuff, right? So I need. This right. is what I need to figure out. So I haven't sussed this yet. This is the, this is the business side of stuff I'm not quite good good with. So Tom said to me that he uses two balls of wool, right? <laughs> and a ball, which would cost him about one pound ninety to two pound twenty, so yes. the hats would cost around three pound eighty. And he yeah, with only no labour. Yeah. He only wants five pounds per hat, even though it takes him three hours. So he's mm, being nice okay. about it. He's like five yeah, pounds not, per hat. I mean, it's hat. a fine line between nice and exploitative, isn't it? But all right, yes. It is a bit exploitative, isn't it? Look, you're not but haggling. Sa- you're agreeing to the figure he said, five pounds. No, I haven't. I, have, okay. I haven't agreed yet. I, well, I'm he, agreeing he, on your behalf. Let's do you let's think not be so, suckers. Though? <laughs> well, no, but I mean, it's it's uh, should we pay? I mean, because he sells his for fifteen to twenty pounds. He sells his hats for, and it's just Holy, to fund. No his one hobby. goes into a negotiation offering more than the seller is asking for. <laughs> yeah, but I you, you can take the whole your point of this, too far. No, but I, he but wants five pounds a hat. Okay, let's, he wants five pounds. Let's a hat. assume okay. he can do it for that. So five pounds per hat plus the ball of wool. So that's right. So he's saying his cost price is eight. Yeah, five, six, seven, seven pound. No, yeah, a hat is three pound eighty. So plus right. five pounds, okay. eight pound eighty. Okay, so a nice beanie. I think you can easily market for like twenty three quid, can't you? So we could easily go in at like nineteen ninety nine. It seems to 19... me that would seem like a good is deal. A very precise price. Why did that you seems... say that? I guess. Well, this is the thing. Is it's interesting, isn't it? How do you see the modern man as a brand, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's like I see the, but then I would because it's got my name and face in it. I see the modern man as a more premium thing than Primark. I see us as. <laughs> I can see where the, sta- the standard you see this podcast at. Yeah, we're slightly <laughs> above Primark. <laughs> but we're not. But we're not House of Fraser, are we? We're somewhere in between, right? I don't know what that is. I don't know if we're next. I don't know if we're John Lewis. We're probably Marks and Spencer, let's be honest. About 23 quid. Right. It's a round figure. I don't like this 1999. I don't know what we're going to do with the penny change. Right, let's go 20 quid. 20 quid for a modern man beanie. 20 pounds for a modern man beanie. I mean, that's fine because I'll tell you why that's fine. Because if it doesn't sell by Christmas, then what you can do is you can um, have a January sale, half price, and you still make your profit. 
<laughs> January sale. I just stand outside with a sailboard when I was able to. What about the beard balm then? How much is that? I don't know how much a beard, but I feel like beard balm is something that you sort of know doesn't cost very much to make, but you still pay lots for because it's sort of a men's grooming thing. 15 quid? Dan's looking at the price for me because he's going to source the labels for us. So he's mm. going to do the labelling for us, right? How much does he sell them for on his website? We should probably sell them at the same price, shouldn't we? I don't know. This is this is how maybe how it works. His beard butters, he calls them beard butters, actually. I thought they were beard barns, but he calls them beard butters. 14 he sells them Look, for. That, wasn't I bang on? You were. I said £15. Pounds. You scoffed uh, you know at my 23 they... quid for the beanie. I bet I was bang on with that as well. I was absolutely <laughs> one penny off. I knew you'd be the person to speak to me this. So my instincts were correct. £15. Pounds, but then your question is, do we charge more or less for it being man-branded? And I say more. But what are you saying? Are you saying £17.50, that that's what I say. Dan's brand's not worth... I mean, Dan's shop looks really no, no, nice. No, it's not that it's not worth it. It's a special... It's a collab, isn't it? Ah, you know, a collab. You wouldn't, yes. you wouldn't have Hugo <gasps> Boss putting his name hey. on, on their uh, beard balm and not expecting to pay more. I like that you've come up with collab. So right. why don't we instead... We say to Tom and Dan, we're going to do a run silk and a knit slips modern man collab... So yeah. then the label will have their logo and our yes, logo. Yes, yes, and like ours. A... So then you've, then you've moved things on from the nefariousness of white labelling yeah. and into something that's definitely unprofitable for us both. <laughs> yeah, but it's special edition. So if you buy one, yes. you, 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 know, you are one in a million. Obviously, there are too many unanswered questions that are being raised here. Uh, for this to be the end of this conversation. But there's a, so, are there? What? We're going to... What? Come on then. What? Well, I want to know in the real world whether this would sell. I want to know how you go about selling it. And now you've established this principle of selling artisanal products from man fans, I wonder if we could broaden that out to other man fans who are listening now. So if you run a small business, not like, you know, oh, I'm a graphic designer from Bournemouth, but if you actually make something with your hands or you have a product, a physical thing, mm. if you make, I don't know, candles or uh, T-shirts or badges or something, maybe you'd like to do a collab. Maybe we should call it the Modern Man Christmas Collab. How about that? And then hey. in our Christmas... Yeah? I'm on fire. That is good. Yeah. Thanks. In our Christmas special next month, instead of doing a usual challenge that I was going to pose to you, ear seeds will have to wait until 2023. We get you to see how much you can sell next month, talk about the process of that, and maybe meet some other man fans who are running small businesses at the moment and could do with the promotional assistance. See, this is a good idea. Okay, that's settled then. So for our Christmas special... I'd love, I'd love to actually talk as well to some, some man fans who make products. So yeah, uh, fill in the feedback form on our website, modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. Um, click the feedback form. Put your phone number as well so that we can speak to you. It's the Modern Man Christmas Collab. This is like what Snoop Dogg does with Adidas or whatever. <laughs> like we are, this is like bang on trend. Keep an eye on our socials. Keep an eye on Ollie Peart's socials in particular, right? And you'll update people when they can actually buy this stuff, right? I will make it my mission. To get the shop up and running, you know, before Christmas. Because Christmas is coming up. You're going to want to buy stuff for your loved ones or even yeah, people you don't, don't like. Yeah, let's not promise to fulfil orders. But yes, certainly <laughs> Christmas yeah. time is a time to spend. <laughs> before we move on, though, we must thank our sponsors for the zeitgeist, manscaped.com. Yeah, we should. And tis the season to be jolly. Tis the season to work on your Santa sack. Yes. 
with the lawnmower 4.0 body trimmer, which has a 4000K LED light on it. Yeah, what does 4000K mean? It's like the temperature, isn't it? But it's bright. I know that much because I've used it. Also, <laughs> it is bright. The... It it leads the way, like like Rudolph through the night sky. You yeah, absolutely. Avoid so many nips and tucks as you trim your gifts. There's also the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer, Ollie, which out of all of the Platinum Package 4.0 is the most underrated thing in there because, I don't know about you, I get a very hairy nose. So just I, pop that in. It's the thing I use, like, I don't know how often you need to trim your balls, Ollie Pitt, but for me that's a at most once a month occurrence. Now I'm very glad that I have Manscaped products to help. But you're right, at my age, <laughs> I'm trimming that nose every couple of days. Yeah. I mean... Who knew one needed a USB charge nose trimmer? But one does. No one knew. No, no, no one, knew one knew until this. they made it happen. No. no one knew. This was complete innovation. And over the Christmas, you can you can have your balls shinier than a Christmas tree bauble uh, with <laughs> That's all good. of these wonderful <laughs> Manscaped products. <laughs> you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code M-A-N-N at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code MAN. Get your jingle balls ready for the holidays with Manscaped. Oh, I am I'm feeling super festive now. Uh, you don't want to go anywhere. Our guest Sam is coming up and it's an absolute cracker. Uh, but first, it's time for our record of the month. And it's another collab, Ollie. Um, this one another is uh, between producer Matt's favourite band of the past few years, Jungle, and the singer Poppy Ajuda. It's called No, N-O, exclamation mark. And it's out now. As you know, we adore it when you guys get in touch to tell your own stories on this show. But sometimes, understandably, man fans are somewhat reluctant to take the mic and have a good suggestion of someone else who can sort of talk in their place. Uh, a listener called LL got in touch with us via our website. He says, Ollie, I am a current serving prison officer. The prison service often feels like the forgotten emergency service, especially during COVID. While the NHS and other key workers were being celebrated, we were largely ignored behind the walls of the jail. I would like to recommend Neil Samworth as a guest to be interviewed, as I think the work of a prison officer is extremely undervalued, and hopefully he can shine some light on the hard, underpaid and extremely difficult work prison officers do. He is a former prison officer from Strange Ways, and before that the private sector jail Forest Bank, and I find him extremely interesting to listen to, with a lot of fascinating stories about prison and the people he's met there. I think he'd be the perfect blend of funny, emotional, interesting and inspiring guest for you. Uh, well, that sounded like a good recommendation, LL, so we made it happen for you. Uh, you're about to hear, as you suggested, Neil Samworth on the show, uh, known to his mates as Sam. Uh, now, obviously, as this is a chat about prison, life on the inside, 
as you might expect, the conversation goes to some dark places, a warning that includes references to extreme self-harm and drug abuse. I started by asking Sam if he himself had ever been on the wrong side of the law. Quite definitely, yeah. I wasn't, you know, uh, I was never destined for criminality. I, it's about who you knock about with. I had friends who went to prison for pinching cars, violence, uh, them sort of things. You know, when I was at school, you don't sort of look at people and think, well, I'm not going to hang about with you because you're going to be going to prison in a couple of three years. But I, I definitely went off the rails in late teens, uh, 20, when I got to 20 and lost my mum, quite definitely then, over a two-year period, I could I could have ended up in prison very easily. What sort of things were you doing? Fighting. You know, going out, drinking, no weapons, proper fist fights, not kicking people in the head when they're on the floor. I got arrested four times in a very short space of time. I got warned that, you know, I would be facing prison if I got arrested again. Back then... It was short, sharp treatment. You get arrested, thrown in the cells for the night, appear in court, get a warning, get a fine, and on your way. Did it work then, do you think, that warning? Like the threat of prison, was that one of the reasons that you never went? Uh, For me, the last time I saw the judge, I was stood next to a minor who I'd been scrapping with. We, We became good friends, yeah. So we're both in the box together. We'd been fighting. The judge asked me to lift my head up which I did, and I definitely knew who we were. And he said, uh, I know you don't know Mr Samworth. And I went, I don't think so, sir. He says, no, no, you've been in here before, quite recently. And I told you then that you were looking at prison if you carried on with your way. So that, for me, was, you know, wake up and smell the roses. So within six months, I lost my mum, uh, stupidly got married, and I was playing rugby at the time, loved my rugby. I fractured my skull, quite a bad injury, so I couldn't play rugby. So I lost that, I lost my mum. The marriage, I don't blame that lass. It was it was just a bad time for me. I bought my first house at 20. By the age of 23, I'd had two houses repossessed. Court, county court judgments, financial difficulty. It just weighs heavy. I mean, I'm asking about all this stuff, obviously, because I wonder whether it helped in the end when you became a prison officer to have been able to think with some of those inmates, well, that could have been me. I understand where they're coming from. Um, when I worked with the young offenders, they're 18 to 21. I think I did empathise. I used to think a lot, you know, when I was that age, I'd be one of them on the wing, getting into fights, things like that. Sadly, a lot of those lads escalated their criminality, so they went from petty crime to armed robbers and things like that. But I, I just think suffering on a whole, you know... I've always been one of them people, the missus and my daughter rid me endlessly. I can't watch a film, you know, without crying, whether it's cartoon, Lion King, Watership Down (laughs) or something like that. Just emotional person, really, I think. What was the reputation of Strange Ways when you accepted a job there? It ran well. It was a Screws jail. Screw being a slang term, prison officer, prison officer's jail. That doesn't mean that, you know, everyone's walking about puffed out chests beating people up it means you know you've got some experience it has a regime and people know where they are prisoners want to know where they're at they need to know where the line is and how they're expected to behave really so that from my point of view is how I saw it 
But coming from where you're from, it's a building you literally see, isn't it? Everyone in Manchester knows Strangeways Prison, right? It's It's got a reputation beyond prisoners and prison officers. It has. It's very daunting. If I just tell you, my daughter and missus have only been there once in the staff car park when I got finished by the governor. Maybe I was gone 20 minutes. When I got back, they both wanted to get out there. Said they felt awful. The atmosphere was... And that's just in a car park looking at the wall. You couldn't see any of the prison. It is deeply dark and it has a reputation and part of that reputation obviously was due to the riot right there was a big riot there in the 90s yes there was about 1993 the warnings have been there from mid-70s i've met people who worked in the job in the mid-70s the prison service was brutal institutionally racist and you know people will only take so much what was the first thing that struck you when you when you started as a prison officer this might surprise you how pale everyone was. I started in the winter. The prison population, on the whole, looked malnourished and very pale because obviously they locked up all day. And that was the first thing, the first day I went into prison mm. in civvies and the showing you around was just how pale everyone was. Was that a bit shocking? It was all shocking for me. I was terrified... When I remember going for that job in the private sector, sat in a car park, I got there an hour and a half early because it was in Salford and I'd travelled from Sheffield, looking at the walls, absolutely terrified, thinking, you know, I'm a tough enough, I'm going to have to fight every day, what am I going to face? You know, I, I was going in completely green. Private sector prisons have a bad rep, don't they? Why is that? Every private prison that opens, opens with new staff. Yeah, prisoners, old hands, super experienced, they'll just run you ragged. So the lack of experience, the, the pay and staffing levels, although people had cited that for me, weren't the issue. The issue was there was no experience. We had a new wing open when I was in the private sector, B2, yeah, that's eight, six prisoners. Um, it was kitted out, painted, new mattresses. We were told over four weeks those eight, six prisoners had arrived. Within three days, it were full. We got lifers, people from segregation units, solitary, people who were on 12 officer unlocks, which means 12 staff to unlock them, all arrived at once. It was horrendous, scary, frightening. If you were a prison governor at Strangeways and Forest Bank was a new prisoner and they were opening a new wing and you had to send 12, are you going to send your 12 best-behave enhanced prisoners or are you going to unload some of your problematic people? What's the best way to deal with a difficult prisoner? It's prisoner knowledge, knowing that person. That's the best way, which comes from time. For me, it's about de-escalation, yeah? There was people I worked with who would be happy to fight in every day. Me, I don't want to be fighting all day. So if you can bring someone down reason with them, communication skills by far are the most important things a prison officer can have. Because if you go to their level, if someone's in my face, yeah, threatening to smash my head in or whatever, and I go up to their level, I'm shouting and you've got nowhere to go. So literally, you'll deal with someone who's violent, what's your problem, find out the problem, tell them you'll come back to them, give them an answer, even if they're not happy, that's one incident. Ten minutes later... Somebody might have had something robbed out of their pad, a shower gel, yeah, and they're threatening to go around other people's cells 
and start dealing out violence or whatever. So it's just, it's continuous and it's endless. But at the same time, some of those guys that are behind bars are just bigger and scarier than you, right? Like at what point do you, there's no training to, to physically match them. Or smaller and scarier. I would take all day anyone who can speak and communicate with people and show reason over someone who can fight. I worked with lasses who were tiny, jockey weight, you know, five foot, seven stone, who would hold the ground and argue the toss with people toe to toe. So it's 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 having the confidence and it's being able to challenge people when, when they cross that line. In a weird way, was it an advantage for the female officers in a prison, in a male prison, because those guys are not going to hit a woman at the end of the day? It used to be very much so. Not now. Uh, as many female staff are getting assaulted. But when I was there, if someone even talked down to a female member of staff who might not be liked, uh, that person, at the very least, someone would be having a word with them. If they assaulted a female member of staff, they were getting a beating. I've seen lads put in hospital who've just pushed a female member of staff. However, like I say, you know, I'm six foot, someone's six foot, a prisoner, in my face, we're going at it, you know, toe-to-toe, arguing. Somebody at the side of me, jockey weight, why are you being like that with Miss Samworth? You know, it's about interacting and supporting each other. It's a team game, definitely. But you've hinted at this. Some people, some prison officers, are drawn to that line of work because they like a fight. Yeah, quite definitely. I work with people who were definitely bullies. They were horrible, to say the least. However... Very soon, staff realise it's about knowing your audience. So I work with people who would walk in a cell and if you were mouthing off or whatever, they'd give you a punch, yeah? If I was there and they walked in the cell, they wouldn't because they know what I'm like and I would challenge it. And plenty of officers, staff, would challenge those bullies. How? How do you challenge it to a bully? What do you do? Very difficult. Maybe not at the time, but later on in the office. Give them the finger in the chest you ever do that again, I'll be going straight to a governor. Not easy, though, because if you challenge the bullies, you are then the problem because somebody is going to have to deal with that. Mm. So you're causing problems. Talk to me about hooch. OK, so alcohol, fruit, bread, water, sugar. Um, they used to have Ovaltine, which has um, yeast in it. <laughs> so what you mix? You mix Ovaltine with the things you just said and you get booze, do you? Well, you, you can just mix the things I've just said and get booze. It's dangerous stuff. The strongest I ever came across, I think, was about 25%. Wow. Uh, four lads drunk. They estimated eight litres of 25% alcohol. Two were hospitalised and one died. Wow. It's everywhere. They, they, every prison in the world, they will brew hooch. It's it's not difficult. You can brew it at home. Really simple. It tastes nasty and it smells worse. And what about drugs? Right, drugs have always been a problem. Again, every prison in the world, there's no such thing as a drug-free prison. No such thing as a drug-free wing. Demand has gone up because we are going back to the dark ages where prisons are locked up all day. You imagine you come out of the 80s, you have the strange ways right, you have a regime, you have time out of cell, you can have showers, exercise, go to the gym, 
you know, that sort. And now we're going back the other way. There's not enough staff to get people out. Boredom sets in. So demand for drugs has gone up. They're never, ever going to stop them getting into prison. Yeah, I understand never. why the demand's gone up, but why the supply? I mean, that seems like something that a prison should be able to control. Staff corruption has gone through the roof. When I worked in the private sector, I think in three years I got searched four times going in. Yeah, you're not searched every day. Strange ways, high security prison, you went through a level of staff search every day. All your metal goes through an x-ray machine. You walk through a portal, you were wandered down and rubbed down. Sometimes, maybe three times in 11 years, they would have a drugs dog there. For me, airport security, you have to walk through a portal to get on a plane. You're not complaining. They've got them in some prisons, but just for prisoners. They need to be for staff, civilians, anybody who goes into prison. So do you, do you really think that's the main route that drugs are getting into prison is through the offices? Staff corruption has gone off quite definitely. People need to understand a high security prison to a Cat C prison, there's a lot of difference. Shortages of staff. People are getting caught with like 20 phones. Now, when they get caught, that's not going to be the first time they've done that. Phones are plentiful. Drugs, spice, they're spraying it on things. They were spraying it on letters and legal mail. You can spray it on items of clothing. As a prison officer, my T-shirt, I can wear a T-shirt under my shirt, sprayed with spice, take it in every day. That T-shirt, £20,000 plus when broke down, maybe more, maybe twice that. So they're not stopping it going in. What do they... I'm just curious how that works. What do you do to a T-shirt to turn it into drugs? Spice now, it has changed from the material the government made illegal, £5 a bag, plant-like material. Now it's man-made chemicals. They're spraying it onto things. You ball it up, so a T-shirt, you take a bit of cotton, thread it up, ball it up, smoke it, bam, gone. Talk to me about the kind of people that you were dealing with who were in prison. How many of them really, when you boil it down, had mental disorders? Trauma, mental illness, mental disorders, I don't know, 78%. I think something like 60 maybe 70% of all prisoners that have got some sort of personality disorder, that's not necessarily going to make them a criminal. A lot were poorly educated. The vast majority came from either childhood trauma type backgrounds or criminal backgrounds. Because theoretically, if you've got mental health problems, you shouldn't be in a, a security prison at all, should you? That's not how the system right. should be laid out. No, I'll explain how the system works, right? If you want to look at mental health, the umbrella, like prisons, underfunded, uh, lack of places. So if someone turns up at court who is mentally unwell, has a mental illness, maybe from childhood, unmedicated, so they've kicked off, they are not filtered out. They are not put on one side. They are not managed until a place comes they will be put in prison because what prisons are good at and the only thing they're really good at is keeping the public safe by keeping people locked up. Once they land in prison, you can have someone, you know, who has a history of psychiatric problems or whatever. They then go on a waiting list, which will involve the community. So we had people for 10, 12 months who were really unwell in prison because there was nowhere to send them. But for me... 
the court process, it should identify those people. And if they can be managed in a community, you know, you can get medicated. That's what we should be doing. How much of your training was based around helping people with mental health problems? The training is rubbish. The training that was worthwhile was probably two or three days of classroom work out of nine weeks and your one-week CNR where you are trained to restrain prisoners, right? People can be critical of CNR, control and restraint. However, it is a very good method of controlling people and it's both safe for them and staff. The rest is a waste of time. There's nothing. There's no mental health training. None. No interpersonal skills training. Prison officers are not selected for life experiences or anything else. It's just, it was always bums on seats, but now more so. That just seems like a really obvious failure, doesn't it? If if 80% of the prisoners have mental health problems and 0% of the training is about talking to people with mental health problems, you can see that's going to perpetuate. It's very difficult. I, d- I don't even know how you could put together a training package because it's all about cost. The nine or ten weeks, most of it is a joke. It's almost like, for me, the prison service makes the training that long and there's that much classroom work and homework and that to try and sort of make it a professional job where it's not. You know, it's not like three years train as a nurse where you're doing practical stuff and learning. It's nothing like that. There's things you can do in prison. I've met people who've set up courses for staff and prisoners to teach them so that those prisoners and staff can teach other staff and prisoners some understanding of mental health. The government's not interested. Nobody is interested in altering prison officer training. And so that control and restraint is then what you end up relying on, which is basically what? It's like a bit of martial arts, really. You, you can restrain people on the feet. Inevitably, it ends up on the floor. It looks very chaotic and violent, but for 98, 99% of prisoners, it does work. You know, if you get to a point where there's going to be violence or whatever, and you have to put hands on people, it is a safe method of doing that. Yeah, it can be very painful. I'm not saying people have never got injured, but if you look at that, even now, so I've been out seven years, if I was put in a team or put on a landing and somebody kicked off, I can still remember all that. Mm. It's off by art. But then, so that three, four days that you spent learning that, versus the amount of time that, say, a police officer would be learning similar techniques. But you're facing the same people. I mean, actually, it's literally the same people. The training isn't fit for purpose and no-one's looking at it. They're not interested. They're not interested in who they're recruiting. At the minute, it is literally people resigning and on the sick is equaling the people coming through the door, new staff. Yeah, I saw a stat about that, that in 2021 there were more prison officers quitting than ever before. Is it because... They can't cope when they get there, though. I mean, how overwhelming is the job? When I started in the private sector, there was two lads who were 21, which, for me, there should be no younger. Now these officers are 18. However, when that, them lads went into the job, there was experience around them, even though we were in a private prison. Hmm. So where, when I went to Strangeways, even though I'd already done the job, I just went in, pretended I'd never done the job, and just asked lots of questions and see how those staff worked, yeah? You haven't got that anymore. Prisoners aren't out on a regime, so you're not learning how to talk to people, you're not you're not finding out who people are. 
it's task orientated so every day now for a prison officer it might be go here do an exercise go there help serve meals go here do this it's very much changed it's it's not the job that i was in for me the interaction with people all day you know that's what it was about when i was on k-wing 200 prisoners watching you all day and they do watch you so they know whether you're a decent officer whether you're going to sort a problem out they see how you interact with people, how you deal with people, how you treat people, you know, decency or whatever. They see that. Now, prisoners don't know the staff. Staff are coming and going very quickly, but it's getting smaller every day. And the criteria for a prison officer, it's just getting watered down. Now, they literally will take anybody. That experience that you had as well, does that give you sort of spidey senses as to when a fight's about to happen you didn't need spidey senses when everyone was out even new staff you could sense when something was going to happen 200 prisoners on at night if there was going to be a fight maybe a full landing of prisoners would be looking where it is you're looking boom you'd feel it yeah and you were mooching about interacting so if, if, if things were getting a bit tense, you could sense that. Plus the fact, if prisoners thought there was going to be a fight, those that wanted a shower and another game of pool might have a mosey on down, have a word in my shell like, Mr Samworth, you might have a look in 218, it's going to kick off. Because they know if it kicks off and there's an alarm bell, they're going behind the door and they're locked up at night. Right. So you'd get that sort of dynamic security working. Some of them oil up, right, if it's a premeditated fight? Is that something you saw? You are putting hands on someone's limbs, yeah? If them limbs are covered in baby oil, shampoo, or whatever, you can't do your job right, you know? The other thing is, if you're going into a cell and the floor of the cell is covered in shampoo, it's obviously quite dangerous. Right. So if somebody was in a cell with the Padme, they know you were coming planned to come and get them to take them to the segregation unit yeah they would they would oil up definitely what was the scariest situation you found yourself in as a prison officer i, I can remember one incident where a prisoner came up from behind and threw a towel around my neck so he had the towel in both hands and he was choking me out i don't know whether anyone's ever choked you out if you watch mma fighters when they are being choked out, there is a reason they tap. Yeah, it's it is, it's it's losing control. It is a scary situation to be in. I couldn't tap because this guy was intent on putting me to sleep. I remember that well. There was also his mate punching me and kicking me from the front at the same time. However, the positive from that is my mate, who was jockey weight, a young lass wrapped herself round the guy who was attacking me from the front's legs and hung on for dear life till the troops arrived. That was frightening. I think seeing people, without getting too graphic, cut themselves down to the wood. That's people self-harming with no thought, literally cut into the bone. No thought of life or anything like that, just at a point where they needed that relief and cell fires, extremely frightening. Talk to me about you know, cell fires, because the fact that you even use plural 
is interesting. You know, I think people well, I, might think that cell fires don't happen that often, but they obviously do. There was there was about five in five months when I was down the block. There was two Scouse lads. Uh, there was a prolific sex offender. There was a young lad from Rochdale, and there was somebody who was brought up in a Manchester home. And I can remember the names of them lads, full names, every situation, what cell pretty much they were in. Two of those fires, we dragged lads out onto the landing. Both of them, to all intents and purposes, were dead. One of them, his arms and chest and some burns on his face. You know, I remember doing CPR on him. You could smell the smoke doing the CPR as you were. And they were round about 2003, 2004, like it was yesterday. And is the purpose of that, of setting yourself on fire? Because obviously it's self-harming writ large, obviously. But is is using fire an attempt to hurt you as well? Because they know that you're going to go in and it will be on fire? It's an incredibly dangerous thing to do. Uh, I know one lad who set himself on fire at Strange Ways. Again, with no consequence. He was a self-harmer. He was a personality disorder. Those five lads, um, probably their frustrations or anger at being restricted. One of them lads, like I say, had grown up with abuse and that. Quite often it can be entitlement. As a segregation, solitary confinement prisoner you're entitled to an hour's exercise every day done nothing wrong my manager said he's not having exercise I argued the toss in the end just frustration he set himself on fire I mean it's just it's not something that anyone else sees in their day-to-day life is it unless you're a firefighter and even then you're expecting it but you're not no there was some glimpses into windows of you know people where my own personal insight, you know, one lad, I remember him well, he was a likeable lad. He stopped taking his medication because the psychiatrist said he was going to change it. He asked him not to change it. He was harming himself in a way and doing things to himself that if, if you saw it in a film, it'd be disturbing, deeply disturbing. And it's been in that moment, you know, these things I can remember stood at people's doors watching themselves harm like it was yesterday. However... Even the lads who were incredibly unwell, you know, you would have a laugh. The last Christmas Day I did, 2014, we had three lads who were on three officer unlocks. One of them was incredibly violent. That means they come out on their own with three staff. We only had two staff Christmas Day. The prison's on its ass. I went to all three lads and I remember the conversation with the other lad. I said, listen, if you kick off in there, I'm going to get you out. There's only two of us. I'm going to make you a two-officer unlock today so you can come out. If you kick off in there, you'll ruin everyone's day. I'm going to trust you. It's Christmas Day, you know. And do you know what? He came out. We had them all out, these lads. We had a pool competition, making them all toast in the morning. We had a good laugh. We had a good crack, laughing, joking, belly laughs. In the afternoon, we got them all out again. I was on Boxing Day. I went to the lad. I thanked him. He said, you know, I appreciate you getting me out. He said, and I remember this, can you put me back on the three officer unlock, Mr. Samworth? I enjoyed yesterday. However, I don't feel you can trust me and I can't trust myself. So he went back on the three officer unlock. So, you know, it's that dynamics, just being real with people, talking to them properly and being honest. Are there any prisoners that served under you who you would consider a friend? Uh, Quite definitely now, I've got... 
more friends who are lads that are locked up than prison staff that I work with. Um, a lot of them are doing well for themselves. You know, they've got families, they've settled, they've moved on. A lot of them, it's still a struggle. But yeah, you know, just, just seeing people out and having a normal conversation. And I, I think very few people have avoided me or seen on the out. You get prisoners who don't want to interact with anybody. The vast majority, though, will approach you. They'll bring the kids up. They'll introduce the wife or girlfriend. I've had people buy me drinks. <laughs> um, what to say thank you, know, you basically yeah lo lovely messages you know uh, Keith a lad sadly who's back inside you know he said do you remember I came on healthcare for a day I was going to hospital you talked to me for 20 minutes and you changed my life you know you sat down I told you my problems you sort of give me some solutions or got me to look at it differently and I thought that's it you know I'm, I'm going to stop being an addict I'm going to change my life around and he said it did. So, yeah, you know, it's knowing that you made a difference, even though at the time you wouldn't think so. Because, you know, we don't rehabilitate people. We don't give them any particular skills. But treating them and giving someone five minutes of your time can be a life-changing thing for them. If you care about things, can you see people at their absolute worst, miserable, suffering then that's going to impact you. And, you know, it, it does affect you and it is continuous and endless. When I left the job, I was on the sick for 11 months, but I got injured, physically injured, shoulder injury. I couldn't have gone back to work for nine months. That was a mess. But the longer I was off, the more ill I became. It wasn't necessarily incidents I dealt with, deaths in custody, self-harm. It was how they were managed. So a bad incident, somebody cutting bad or setting a cell on fire is made worse by a manager who turns up and it's too much trouble for him. He needs to be somewhere else. He don't want to be on the healthcare dealing with a death in custody. And that anger manifested itself, anxiety. Uh, I wasn't depressed. I never thought about harming myself, but I did seek help. I did get diagnosed with PTSD. And I, I, I won't say now, cured might be the wrong word, but... Um, that's all behind me, as it were. Well done. But it must be very typical for prison officers to come home and find it very difficult to switch off. I always said I left the problems at the gate. I quite definitely didn't. My missus would testify to that. I don't think it's a job you can. I very sadly have met people who have grown up in prison officers' homes with violence, you know, horrendous drinking. That's people taking the job on. I mean, I suppose the, the flip side of that is for some people, coming home like you were, you've got your wife and your daughter, coming home to a feeling of relative security and comfort and nice things around you from that hostile environment, I suppose for some people it makes them feel more grateful. They can make a very clear divide between what goes on in there and what life's like outside. I think, because I work long hours... Uh, we couldn't afford childcare. My missus looked after my daughter. She spent long hours on her own. And uh, the fact is now, if, if you're on one wage a family, unless you're on an incredible amount of money, um, you can't do anything. So I worked extra hours to have a quality of life that we never had. Because, you know, if we got a chance, you'd probably have a takeaway, 
and get drunk. You had a heart attack last year as well, didn't you? Yeah, September the 4th. It would be accumulation of lifestyle, 20 years, stressful jobs, poor diet choices. You know, in that job, all the will in the world, when you come home, I, w- I wouldn't say relax because I don't think I did used to relax. I think a lot of people don't. Poor sleep or whatever, it takes its toll. Prison officers used to be 18 months after retirement, they'd die. I think that's dropped to less than 12 months now. So you do see a direct correlation between the job that you had and having a heart attack? Yeah, quite definitely. It's definitely one of one of the world's most stressful jobs, I would say. I mean, that's very different to every other kind of civil servant, isn't it? And that's basically what you are. You're a civil servant when you're a prison officer, but other civil servants don't come home and face that. Well, I, I remind people that, you know, if MPs were getting salted daily and going through this same stress and trauma, you know, I'd like to see how many of them had stayed in the same job. Because that email from our listener, LL, uh, which recommended that we talk to you today, compared the role, as he saw it, of prison officers to NHS workers. Do you, do you think it's true that the public see prison officers in a completely different way to NHS workers. They, they don't see them as public servants in the same way. Well, people talk about it being a lost service. It's not the lost service. It's just people don't care about things if it doesn't affect them. Yeah, the NHS affects all of us. You know, we've all got family in that. If you love, like me, my heart attack, eternally grateful. The staff were amazing. You know, they're incredibly busy working incredible long hours. However, unless you go to prison... You're not concerned about what the prison environment's like, what sort of standard of living people have got, or who works in prison. It's not relevant. It's not a public job. It's not a job that is in, you know, firemen save lives, police are out there every day. Prison officers, once you're within them walls, you know, it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything to anyone unless you are visiting or you're in prison. Neil Samworth. And if you'd like to hear more from him, do check out his excellent books, Strange Ways Unlocked and Strange Ways, A Prison Officer's Story. Uh, Both of them written under the name Neil Samworth. As I say, he sometimes goes by the name Sam. His channel on YouTube is called Real Porridge with Sam Samworth, and he does excellent vlogs there as well. Uh, I'll put links to all of that on our website. Uh, My thanks to producer Sophie King for her help putting together that interview. I should say as well, regarding the self-harm that we touched on there, um, if you're having suicidal thoughts, do remember there is always someone to talk to. The number for the Samaritans is in our show notes. Coming up next, Alex Fox on the truth about the NoFap movement. Your sex questions answered in the foxhole after this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
It's time for the Foxhole, your sex questions answered with Alex Fox, resplendent as ever. Hello, Alex. Oh, thank you. I'm resplendent, fantastic, and uh, appropriately fantasticky. What have you been up to? I have been suggesting, along with the dating app Plenty of Fish, some of the trends that we might notice in the dating world in the year 2023. Oh, I love these stories. Okay. I trends love these stories. Trends in dating for 2023. Uh, well, we've moved on from stay-at-home games, right? This is going to be more about getting out and about again. Because I'm involved in uh, this particular piece of press, uh, it's uh, very much focused on punning names <laughs> for, <laughs> for behaviours and fads. Um, a big thing that we're going to see uh, is cl- more click-baying. Um, right. This is a pun on clickbait. Yes. And the idea is that Uh, People are less tied to having a particular type uh, and lots of them are more likely now to instinctively click on whoever looks interesting and kind of cast their net much wider in the types of people who they are considering might turn out to be the love of their life. Why? Because that is counterintuitive, you know, against how dating apps work, which is all about refining exactly what you're interested in. Uh, In some ways, perhaps. In other ways, not. If you have a very restrictive view, like a a formula of who you think you're searching for, then you are automatically reducing the number of people that are good matches for you, right? Whereas if you open your mind and think, well, you know what, Um, this person perhaps isn't. Uh, doesn't have the kind of job that I thought my perfect partner would or uh, they're a slightly different age. Considering more people and not overthinking and overanalyzing every single profile uh, can mean that you you have some pleasant surprises. Okay, what else is there? Eco-dumping. Mm-hmm. Eco-dumping, Ollie. Now, in the financial sphere, eco-dumping is a pretty dubious practice where you uh, export goods from a place that has really shitty in, uh, or badly enforced environmental laws so you don't have to this pay. This was the Zeitgeist Challenge we've just done, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you don't have to pay to produce items more ethically. But in the dating world, it's a much more empowering and uh, moral practice where you assess whether somebody's green credentials are sufficiently good for you to uh, oh. consider making them a partner okay. it's associated with green screening which is taking a look at someone's profile and screening them according to uh, whether they're environmentally friendly enough to be more than a friend to you okay so what's the kind of thing people would be looking for in a dating profile to show that someone is you know appropriately green uh, it might be things like uh, veganism for example um actively speaking about environmental issues over a third of folks say that a partner who cares about the earth and is respectful towards the world Mm. is a key attribute for them more so than physical appearance and more so than somebody's profession which i found quite surprising really hobbies include going to the cinema to which i walk and travel (laughs) on my bike yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) okay one more one more what's the dating trend Apparently, we will all be entering our sincere era and baying real. Okay, um, I can so tell you wrote these, but what does that mean? I actually didn't write bay real. No, you wrote sincere era. Yes, I did. I mean, I could identify that from a lineup from a million <laughs> yes. miles. Yes, I did. Um, this is a backlash against filtered pictures, against um, behaving online.
screen and on apps and on social media in a way that is designed to impress others, even if it's not authentic to yourself. Mm -hmm. It's about being honest about who you are, what you look like and what you're looking for, with the idea that really this cuts out a lot of wasted time and disappointment and awkward situations where someone meets you in real life and finds that uh, the person that they saw on the app does not in any way resemble the person that they're, that they're meeting at the bar. So it's about kind of cutting to the chase of who you really are. To Whilst reduce, being open-minded yeah. and interested in green issues. <laughs> <laughs> time for your question of sex. Uh, and this time it's from a gentleman who's chosen to remain anonymous who says, Alex, I'm wondering about the NoFap movement and whether what they say about masturbation is accurate. NoFappers claim, he says, that masturbating depletes sexual energy, which limits charisma and overall energy in the real world. Okay, so before we answer the question in full, let's just quickly just define the NoFap movement, because we have done an episode about this before called Porn Messed Up My Brain, if you want to go back in the back catalogue. But, but, but briefly, for those who can't remember or haven't encountered this before, what is the NoFap movement? Yeah, we spoke about this back in 2019, but now is actually a really timely moment to pick back up on it, because we're in November and there is an internet challenge that's become quite widespread called No Nut November that challenges people not to ejaculate not to masturbate for 30 days okay it's and not about supplementing oat milk in your latte <laughs> no no fap is an anti-masturbation movement they get their name from a from an onomatopoeic slang term that uh, first cropped up in a webcomic called sexy losers that uh, <laughs> denotes the sound the fapping sound of somebody having a wank um no fap advocate that people should avoid masturbation altogether entirely yeah never do it never do it Uh, or not don't do it for sustained periods of time up to 90 days potentially longer um there is some crossover with people who believe in semen retention which is holding on to your spunk um those people say it's okay to masturbate and edge yourself to the the brink of orgasm but you just can't you can't ejaculate and that's partly about holding on to your energy and your testosterone isn't it i mean that is something they advise like the england football team right is don't have sex and don't masturbate before you go out and play there's some evidence isn't there that it does affect your energy semen retention uh, advocates though talk about doing that for longer and also have really almost religious ideas in mm. fact sometimes directly religiously connected ideas about what holding on to your semen can do it's strictly no fappers um also known as fapstronauts or fapstinant people and semen retention people are slightly different but there is a lot of overlap or over fap if you will over fap well not enough fap some would (laughs) some would argue um supporters of the no fap movement claim that avoiding masturbation for prolonged periods improves their lives improves their sexuality and has all of these uh, beneficial effects they also treat it as a way to deal with erectile difficulties or what they believe to be a problematic relationship with porn if you just look at some of the top line suggestions then they can be helpful if you're somebody who's consuming porn round the clock Someone telling you, hey, maybe consume a little bit less porn. Maybe take a step back from that Mm. for a bit. That seems like a fairly sensible idea, right? Maybe be conscious, be present 
about yes. why you're doing that. And uh, perhaps if you've been spending a lot of time cracking one out instead of cracking on with your studies, for example, or mm. uh, dedicating time to your relationships or enjoying time with friends, then cutting back on porn and, and the associated masturbation might see you elevate your mood. OK, but our correspondent says today that there are specific claims that are being made that masturbation depletes sexual energy which limits charisma... Let's just go back right to those origins of the NoFap movement. It was um, established in June 2011 by a web developer called Alexander Rhodes, who posted this thread on Reddit about a 2003 Chinese study which claimed that men who didn't masturbate for seven days experienced a 45.7% increase in testosterone levels on the seventh day. That was the study that started it all. And the claims, a lot of the claims that NoFap make about charisma and increased attraction and feeling like more of a man are associated with this idea that you'll have more testosterone. And testosterone in men can have profound effects upon mood uh, and it can improve depression and, uh, and make you feel happier and more motivated and things like that. But this study only involved 28 men. You've got 333,000 dudes on the NoFap website <laughs> alone committing to a movement that was inspired by a slightly tenuous study involving just 28 men. That's mm. a really teeny sample. What the study found was that uh, if you didn't wank for a week, days two to five, there was minimal fluctuations in your testosterone level. On the seventh day, there was this, this sudden spike. However, after seven days, that went away again. A tiny spike for a day, well, not tiny, so, you know, you've got a, just under 50% extra testosterone there, but it's a, it's a temporary spike that is unlikely to have the bodily effects that no fappers claim. Things like not uh, ejaculating will increase your muscle mass. If you don't fap, you're going to have a deeper, sexier voice. Uh, your hair won't fall out because you're, uh, you are increasing your testosterone. Uh, hilariously, I also read one no, no fap blog that said um, you lose protein when you ejaculate, which is, and protein's needed for your hair. So <laughs> uh, for a start, you can eat more protein. Secondly, there are about 252 milligrams of protein in every ejaculative spurt. Uh, and there are 13 grams of protein in an egg. So if you ate one egg, that's enough for about 52 wanks. Okay, but it's gone far beyond those 28 men now, hasn't it? Because as you say, there's hundreds of thousands of men who are trying out now, which means there are obviously at least tens of thousands of men who are able to say that it's worked positively for them in the past. So although that's not scientifically evidence, there are lots of people on the internet saying this is working for me. The positive effects that they are feeling are more likely to be related to um, a sense of achievement by committing to something mm. and uh, redirecting their energies into things beyond masturbation. The thing is, though, that they're also being exposed to a lot of other dangerous ideology that comes along with NoFap. It's not just about bad science. It's about bad ideas and some really, really bad uh, messages about men and women.
it brands masturbation as almost universally unhealthy, right? Um, we know that there are loads of health and mental well-being benefits to masturbating. It's all about context and moderation. Uh, we know that there are uh, some linked health benefits to, to ejaculating regularly. There's papers that suggest a, a, fairly, a fairly decent link between avoidance of prostate cancer and, mm. and regularly enjoying yourself sexually. There's also, I mean, th the work focus thing I find interesting. Because you do hear men say, actually, sometimes cracking one out enables me to then focus on my work because I'm not having sexual thoughts. Yeah. So rather than repressing something, I've just dealt with it. Yeah, it can be a great way of blowing off steam. It can it can help you relax and then you're, you you feel less stressed and, and in a calmer mindset, ready to concentrate on something else. This is all contextual. It's horses for courses, but it's the absolutism and the extremism of no fat movement that makes it so dangerous. Um, they talk a lot about porn addiction. Now, that is a... a a very disputed and controversial term. It's not recognized as a legitimate diagnosis in the DSM-5, which is like the main manual for diagnosing mental disorders. And the main certifying body in the US for sex therapy licensing, who are called ASECT, they condemn the use of porn addiction and of sex addiction. Often programs that are designed to treat an addiction, like alcohol or drugs or gambling, encourage you to completely stop that addictive behavior you you no longer have any booze you do not touch drugs um, by using that model for masturbation you are branding self-pleasure and your sexual urges and your sexuality as a bad thing that you shouldn't go anywhere near. It's the enemy, it's gonna bring you down, it's gonna make you a lesser person. There's a lot of talk about failure and, and being a weak man if you can't get past a 30-day mark or a 90-day mark with mm. the no-fap challenges. It's, there's a lot of the language is about winners and losers and it's very aggressive and unsupportive for a forum that supposedly uh, is about supporting men's mental and, and physical well-being. But yeah, if we talk about sexuality as something awful that should be stopped, that is getting in the way of you, that extreme way of speaking about it can actually result in an enormous amount of shame and other problems, other sexual problems. You may not be consuming so much porn anymore or masturbating so much, but you're mental association about sex there is is still really quite damaging and stigmatized. detrimental yeah but i guess the problem is potentially that this appeals to men who have stigmatized their masturbation anyway i mean you know for most people that are in relationships that are watching pornography it's something they do secretly it's something they don't tell their partner about I know we've talked on the show about masturbating together and all that stuff and talking about what you're watching, but for the vast majority of people listening to this, when they go off and masturbate, it's something they're not telling their partner about, and it often is because they're not having sex with their partner that day. So in that sense, it is stigmatized anyway because you're keeping it secret, right? It's something you, you are doing furtively in the first place. You've already labeled it in that way in your mind. And the further stigmatization of masturbation, rather than the constructive discussion of it as what can be a healthy part of an overall um, happy, sexual, and uh, more holistic lifestyle, is what makes NoFap concerning. It's just so extreme. There's also 
major overlap with the manosphere. Um, this is uh, online groups that propagate huge amounts of misogyny. There's a lot of association with men going their own way, blokes who are backlashing against feminism and uh, returning to quite old-fashioned, entitled ideas of men's rights. Um, and the thought process of manosphere-oriented no-fappers goes something like, so masturbation and porn are bad, Women in porn are tempting me. Uh, it's women's fault. Those whores are ruining men. Mm. And it's, it, it can be a worryingly slippery slope to go if you enter a, a no-fap zone from I think I might have a problem with porn and masturbation to the problem is other people, women, ruining me. I mean, it's so interesting because you can see as well that there are other people that are tempted to it because they think it will improve their relationship with a real woman. Like they're thinking, looking at porn is objectifying and it's taking me away from having an intimate connection with the woman that I love. So that's not an anti-woman perspective, is it? It's, tr it's trying to be present with the woman you're with, but you can approach the same uh, technique from two completely different angles, it seems. This is the thing. I'm not saying that people can't have problematic relationships with porn, and I'm not saying that seeking help with those problematic relationships can't be a rewarding, healthy, and sensible thing to do. I am saying nofap.com and all the associated websites and the nofap community is not the most healthy way to approach a potential problem with masturbation or with pornography. It is surrounded by pseudoscience, by misogyny, by ideas that it's uh, women's job to provide sex to men because otherwise they'll feel frustrated and driven to fapping, which is the, the, the evil enemy. It's just full of lies <laughs> about science and really horrible messaging about men and women. This is not a safe place to seek help and support. I hope that helps. Uh, it's not just No Nut November, of course. Uh, it is also No Foxhole Questions December because next month we're not taking a listener question. We are doing our annual humiliating Foxhole Christmas quiz. Uh -huh, are um, you brewing something special for me and Ollie to play? I am. I might not be answering a listener question, but I will be making you and Ollie question every decision you've ever made leading <laughs> up to working with me. I look forward to getting lubricant all over my fingers and face once again. Just it's, hope it's lubricant. It could be worse. Uh, it's a Christmas tradition. It's like stuffing the turkey. Uh, so that's next month. But if you have a question of sex that you'd like Alex to answer on The Modern Man in 2023. Please head over to Modern Man with two N's. I won't get one free on N's. .co.uk and hit feedback. And with that, we have very nearly reached the end of this edition of The Modern Man, but there is just time to appoint a new ambassador. It is Andre in Estonia, who says, Ollie, I've listened to all your episodes. You guys have helped me through some very dark times. There is no other podcast that makes me laugh and cry so much. Luckily, I work alone in my workshop, so just sitting down and holding back tears whilst listening is no problem. <laughs> thank you, Andre, and thank you for the beer money. Uh, he says, I'm contributing in the hope you will return to being a weekly podcast someday. Uh, we'll need a bit more beer money to make that happen, I'm afraid. But you will be contributing to help us make future editions. Much appreciated. I now pronounce you Ambassador for Estonia. Congratulations. Until next time, our title music is by Django Django. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer, Matt Hill. And we'll see you with our traditionally chaotic Christmas special on December the 10th. Oh!
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.